Welcome to the Black Hat Chat podcast with Lee Johnson and Reverend Kai, a weekly show about living as a modern crafter where two witches discuss a variety of topics concerning magic and witchcraft. You can also catch us live on Fridays on YouTube. The links are in the description of the podcast or in the about section. So grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea and let's begin. Good morning, good afternoon, good, good evening, and good night, good people around the world. <laughs> this, we think, is the blackout chat. <laughs> wow. I know, it's, it's, it's like that. It's Starting really off strong that. today, very strong today. <laughs> and uh, yes, welcome to all our blackouters. Let us know how your week's been. <laughs> don't, I don't know. Maybe it's not a good idea. Um, right, so Black Hat Chat, two riches get together, myself, Lee, and Rev Kai. I'm going to point this nope, way. Nope, either way. Either oh, way. <laughs> there you go. On my screen this time. All right, there we go. <laughs> and just two riches get together every Friday and talk about traditional witchcraft. All right, so today, well, I've told you what my week's like. Not much to say, really. Not good. Not much to say, no. Uh, yeah. Same for my week. It's been, it's been a a mess. Uh, as we, we were talking about before the show started, it's uh, grinding to a halt, and uh, but grinding to a halt like with pressure, and Mm. containment. So, I'm attributing that to Pluto stationing direct tomorrow and uh it's it's configured perfectly to that mercury mars uh situation it's trying very nicely to mercury and when mercury stationed direct it was trying to this pluto so it's still this kind of brass i don't know <laughs> this mess yeah no so. no it's ugly yeah yeah but- it will get. It can only get better. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I've been not doing a lot this week. I hurt my shoulder and have mm. to wear braces, and I don't have my sling on right now because I thought maybe I won't use my arm that a lot while we sit here. But <laughs> I will be putting yeah. it on after the show. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody sees Kai moving her arm around a lot, just let us know. <laughs> We'll put a stop to it. We'll put a stop to it. <laughs> oh, no. <sighs> no. Um, all right. So today we're talking about sacred specs. Uh, this was suggested by Solemnson on our yeah. wart cunning and magical gardening show. So thank you for the suggestion, Solemnson. And if you Solemn's have... If you have any uh, further elaboration on what you'd like us to talk about or questions or anything, as usual, pop them in the chat. And while we're talking about such things, make sure you switch from top chat to live chat because it um, filters out stuff. It's supposed to catch spam, but it filters out people's stuff. 
Mm. Sarah said, Voltaro and Jell works good on shoulder injuries. Oh, that was 30 years ago when that stuff still worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have pretty severe chronic pain. We've progressed since then. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm one of those uh, stretch arm strong people. I have EDS, so my joints pop out. Muscles rip all the time. Uh, Deb said hi. Hello, Deb. Hello. Who else is here? Let's see. We've got Yolandi. We've got Sarah. We've got Lady Capera. We've got Rev Kaisia again. Rev Kaisia always here. Um, <laughs> or there's no screen. Solemn said. Solemn said. That ten times fast. Thank you for covering the topic. It's our pleasure. Thank you for suggesting um, it. Yeah, and let it grow. Said aloe vera gel juice helps pain and inflammation temporary. Hmm. Yeah, I take aloe vera every day. Help R. Yeah. R A. But what R A is? Rheumatoid arthritis. Ah, okay. Merlin's here. Hello, Merlin. Glad you could join us. All right. Um. So. What game do witches play on Halloween? Mm, I don't know what game do witches play on Halloween. Hide and ghost seek. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> oh, oh, I got another one. That's terrible. Okay, go on then. What do you call a witch who is pretty and friendly? I don't know what you call a witch who is pretty and friendly. A failure. <laughs> 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 oh my god okay okay bad jokes out of the way thanks very much <laughs> oh i got more i got more save them for cutting them later <laughs> <laughs> save them for horrible them. jokes later horrible jokes <laughs> so what do y'all want to talk yeah. about today uh with regards to sacred space um I, I have a I have a suspicion this is going to go beyond traditional witchcraft. We're gonna to have to do some ceremonial magic comparison and things like mm -hmm. that. Yep. Um, Solemn Sun's original comment was a circle creation from scratch and by purpose and grid making episode. So um so I think we should talk about circles. Uh We've talked about laying the compass and some other conceptions of sacred space in traditional witchcraft and in Indo-European influenced paths, which covers a huge range of things. Um, and then there's circle casting, both in the modern Wiccan sense, uh, traditional initiatory witchcraft sense, and uh, ceremonial magic. And then it also make its own category of demonolatry, which I think is moved away from ceremonial magic. Mm, no, it's still very much a similar format. Um, the element, elements were in the same places. Um, but it's not that guarding protective circle. Mm -hmm. Ceremonial um, magic I, definitely has the... It's a protection. Mm. Now, Deb had a joke, and now she's retracted the message. Deb, oh, no. post the joke again, please. Post the joke. 
And Solomson said, I am particularly... Oh, wait, let's do the joke first. Why do demons and ghouls hang out together? Because demons are a ghoul's best friend. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Oh, oh, I like that one. <laughs> okay. So Solomson said, uh, I am particularly interested in your thoughts on creating it for ritual work in other places that aren't the home space. How to make a space sacred for large-scale work and why it's important. Um, do wait, I just want to ask, when you say um, not at the home space, are you talking about outdoors or in somebody else's building in their home or in a building um because quite often when we talk about working outside the, the space is already considered to be sacred and hallowed yeah we do not consecrate yeah. the land we simply dwell upon it um mm. very much a traditional witch idea that the the sacred space that is out there the natural world you go find it. Um, and when you find it, that's it. You've arrived at the temple. You don't necessarily do anything to hallow the space or make it sacred because you found the already sacred space. Um, that doesn't preclude laying a compass. Laying a compass is not to establish sacred space. Um, the way casting a circle is, and it's definitely... Um, not the kind of barrier method that circle casting is. It is still protective, but it's not through erecting a barrier or putting up walls or um, removing things from a space. That's not how it works. It's an orientation mm -hmm. thing. That's part of why it's still called a compass. Um, Solomon asked, do you consider the circle more of a protective, more of a protection for the magician? And also added outdoor space, but it's at another's property. Now, <clears throat> this creating a circle for protection is quite an interesting topic. Um, some people do it, some people don't. It's, I think it's quite mostly done within ceremonial magic. Um, I remember years ago, um, Robin Artisan, actually, traditional witchcraft is people think that they have to create this sacred or this protective space around mm. them. And what you're actually doing in those um, rituals is you are taking yourself to the god or the goddess, the deity, the spirit that you want them to work with. You're not bringing them to your space, you're going to them. Yeah. So if you, if you knock on their front door, with an entire army of bodyguards that are protecting you. And they open the door and they see this and they go, well, you obviously don't trust me, so bye-bye. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's, I think, I think, that, that's not to say go completely unprotected. Mm. But, um, you know, the way you show up matters significantly. But yeah, if you... Mm. If you knock on the door with with the army and the entourage and everybody's guns pointed at the door, what what is what are they going to think? <laughs> you mm. know, um, so. Yeah, but at the same time, it, I, th I think it all depends on what type of magic you're doing, what type of working you're doing. 
if you're doing something which has to bring the energies into your space that you're working in, then in order to charge something, um, create an amulet or a talisman or create a servitor, you're bringing that energy in from there into your space and working with it in your particular space. Then you may want to create a barrier of some kind to stop any energies that you don't want to work with from actually coming in. Because um, while you're focusing on what you're doing, you're not pay not sometimes not paying attention to that little thingy over there that's trying to get through. Yeah, you know? that's much more the idea of creating an energetically sterile working environment. Mm. Um, which, for a lot of people, that's the way they understand magic circles. Um, you carve out a space, you define it, you set boundaries, and then you clean everything out of it so it is energetically sterile. And then you just put in what you want, you know, mm. uh, depending on what you're doing. And there are absolutely times for doing that uh, during magic, but it's not, it's rarely a group activity um, because it's, you can't sterilize <laughs> the energy of m more than one person. Um and your energy is still in there, even though you've cleaned out the circle. But we always kind of just take that as a given, mm. you know. But when you when you have several people, you can't really make a sterile, magical environment. Um, although there are ways around this, such as one person creating the circle and then cutting it open and bringing people in individually. Mm. And uh, usually when a gatekeeper does that sort of thing uh, they there's somebody purifying cleansing balancing each person at before or as they come into that space so there's a lot more tight control over what's being allowed into the space and what isn't and mm. um you know that takes a while if you have a big group of people um but it's also the way some people prefer to work to have that um, control, refinement um, over what's going on. I, I would say I've never seen that sort of stuff in traditional witchcraft. Um, mm. It's not, not the way things go at all. We joke about traditional witchcraft being dirt magic. <laughs> you need to go out and, and get dirt. And dirt is not mm. sterile. Not in the mm. least. You know, um, I, I liken that kind of magic to like surgery and traditional witchcraft to like gardening. Mm. You know, um, you don't want a sterile environment for the kind of magic that is done in traditional witchcraft. And you definitely would not presume to go to a sacred holy space and then just clean it of everything. Mm. You know, that's that's the height of hubris. So... Um, lots of traditional witchcraft, we are not the ones making the sacred space. We're finding it and then properly orienting ourselves and everything else in relation mm. to that particular space or um, where we're going from that particular space. I guess it, it's almost like having a meal in front of you and removing all the vitamins and nutrients and then eating it. Yeah. 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 So I think I think that's a big difference. I mean, with traditional witchcraft, you're really working with the energies that are around you. 
There's no need to push them away or remove them or sterilize them because you want to work with those energies. You want them to circle. You want them to move. You want them to, you know, yeah. work with you and you work with them. Yeah. So it really depends on the type of magic you're going to be aiming for. Um, so let us know what you're actually going to be doing, so and so. You can get a bit more specific. So, um, if you got to go find sacred space, what what's the clue that you found it? <laughs> mm-hmm. We say go out and find it. Um, mm. So you can follow. I, go ahead. I usually go by how it feels. And, and I would say that's the, the biggest marker, but you know, like we've talked about many times, you only know how it feels if somebody showed you how it feels. Mm, yeah. Somebody took you to a sacred space and went, this is it, you know, mm. and then you could be within it. And you remember that feeling. But there are some, um, I think of them as mathematical rules that come from Proto-Indo-European cosmology that are used to determine sacred spaces. Um, and mathematical rules is probably a terrible way to describe that for most people. But, you know, natural proportions. Uh, you find certain configurations. Um, one of them is the well and the tree, or the spring and the tree. And you find somewhere in nature where there is a natural well or a spring, water coming forth from the earth, and a tree nearby. That's sacred. Mm. You know, that's the world tree and the sacred well right there. You add the fire, ta-da, complete. You know, mm. and, and you line it up where it goes. Uh, but also, you know, certain curves in the land that line up and are marked with trees or are marked with barrows. If you can see the origin cosmology of the land from where you stand, if you can tell the story of creation as you look around, that, that's also a sacred space. And that's often what we're usually looking for is some place to, to stand at the beginning of creation. Beginning. <laughs> um, and sometimes we don't want to be in the center of that. Sometimes there's a reason to be somewhere else in the story. But usually we sight at the center of it. And that's where we build the compass before we move. Mm. No. Uh, sorry, I just want to go back in the chat. Oh, there was a joke from Lady Capoe. Do you know why witches hold their brooms sacred? Because they are peasant buddies. <laughs> And Deb said, I love dirt. Um, Solomon said, and Lolo Sun said, I'm going to have to stop saying that. Um, <laughs> that's essentially what I conceptualized the creation of the sterile space. Uh, but in seeking to make spirit contact with a being who is known to bring others, uh, I want to be cautious. And um, also, search a good friend of. Good, good, good friend presented me the ritual space. They are known to be there along with the gateway. Okay. If that's the case, you definitely don't want to create a sterile space. You probably can't, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
that's one of those spaces that you travel to uh, for the purpose of being in that space um, and what it can do. But if you if there are already phenomena happening there, um, something someone describes as a gateway experience uh, that people would classify as a fae, you're not going to accomplish cleansing the space. And if you do, you've probably fucked up royally. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it's kind of like coming through an apartment complex and telling everybody, get the fuck out. I'm going to use this for a while. You know, mm. nobody's going to be happy with, with that. Whether you mm. have the authority to do that or not. In a situation like that, you wouldn't even be considering creating sacred space to begin with. Um, it's already sacred. Mm-hmm. Um, what you want to be doing is um, firstly doing some research and finding out how to work with the faith. Uh, there is some specific law. And then you're going to be doing things like offerings and presenting yourself and making sure that you're actually allowed in that space. Uh, if you're not, you'll get kicked out. Mm-hmm. They're not happy with you. And that so takes time. That's not it a does. one-off. Yeah, it's um, taken me a year to be able to walk into the river. Yeah. And that, that, that was quick. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is quick. It, but you have to go back again and again. You have to establish relationship. Um, just like we talk about establishing relationship with spirits, with gods, with ancestors, the land is the same. Um, whether there are anthropomorphic things that dwell upon it or not. Mm. Um you need to make offerings, you need to establish relationship, you need to find if you're even allowed to be there. And if you are allowed to be there, and you have something you want to do, you're going to have to ask permission. You can't just decide, I want to do this working, this looks like a good spot, go. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, well, you can, but there will be consequences. Um, and the consequences are usually not pleasant. So, you know, it, it's a long process to do so. Um, now, if we're talking public uh, pop Wiccan ritual, neo-pagan ritual, it's a very different thing, but I think you can pick up a book and figure out how to do that. Um, not that I would do it or recommend that anyone do it because it's not not part of my worldview, and I don't agree with the way those are done. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think one of the best people to look for in terms of fairy magic. Oh, why do I spell his name? Uh, No, that's not it. Wait. Fairy Wolf. Storm Fairy Wolf. There you go. Um, He's an author. He's got um, some really good books out um, on fairy lore. Um, He is part of the fairy tradition. 
Um, so have a look for that. Some really good stuff in there about how to actually interact with them. Um, okay, where did I get to over here? Have we answered that? I don't know if we've answered that or not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let, let let us know if we haven't answered it, or if we rambled off the topic. Nope, this this was a question. <laughs> yeah, which we do. We do often. We have um, no problem with being corrected. <laughs> Lady Capera said, uh, having bizarre outer body astral trips and Stepford, Stepford wives type weird dreams. Okay. Yeah. I haven't been getting weird dreams. That's yeah. Pluto's in Aquarius, isn't it? thought it was. I mean, that sounds like an Aquarian thing. No, Pluto's in Capricorn. Saturn's in Aquarius. I want Pluto to be in Aquarius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dreaming it really hard. Four more degrees, <laughs> buddy. We can do it. <laughs> um, Deborah said, so... Using sacred circles does not necessarily mean working with demons. Sacred circles have the elements and ethereal, right? Ah. So when we're talking about sacred circles, circle casting, sacred space, and things like that, there are lots and lots of different traditions, and all of them have lots and lots of different ways to do things. So usually in a ceremonial magic format, you work heavily with the, with the elements. Um, and they usually, not always, but usually it's air in the east. Um, well, for me, it's fire in the north. For people in the north, it would be fire in the south, water in the west, and earth in the opposite direction to fire. Except air goes um, in the north. Sorry? <laughs> Except air goes in the north. And ceremonial magic, that's that's the most common format, is air in the east. I'm talking about ceremonial magic. Most common exoteric format is air in the east, but if you get into actually working oh, yes. the LBRP and that sort of stuff, it's air in the north and earth in the east. Mm. But, uh, yeah, for, for the beginners, the beginners over here. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Um, those elemental direction associations are passed around like they're some sort of sacrosect law. Mm. And that there is only one configuration. And the source that is cited for that in neo-paganism is often ceremonial magic. But if you work in ceremonial magic, those things don't stay. They're in different no, orientations mm -hmm. on different levels through different process. And yet mm. we find in neo-paganism this idea that once those are lined up, that this is the way it always goes, and how dare you question such things. And I don't mm. think that even belongs in neo-paganism. I think that's Christian worldview, one right wayism influencing, and also the eclecticism that is the surface, this sounds cool, I'll take it, kind of thing, instead of the deep dive with context and understanding. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as, as we said, the most, the most common formation is that with East, air in the East. Okay. For, for, the for the people who are picking up books. 
Yes, but which are usually usually neo pagan neo. Why reinforce bad information? Well, that's the problem. Nobody's reinforcing the good information. Everybody that's why we're doing on. this show, honey. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. This is what I'm trying to get to. What people usually do. And okay. Then we'll get to I'll shut up. What people should do. No, don't shut up. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the usual format that you'll probably usually find is that air in the east, but it's not always like that. All right. As Kai mentioned. Okay. <laughs> uh. All right. However, however, to continue from that. Some traditions don't work with the elements. Well, there's a, an inclusion of elements somewhere, but there's no emphasis on the elements itself. Like traditional witchcraft, it usually uh, relates to the mythical lands, which is why they call it a compass. Um, there is an aspect of elements, but as I said, it's not really a big emphasis. Well, well uh, I suppose for some it can that's be. That's got to depend uh, upon on paths, because there's a part of my... Yeah my traditional craft that has a lot of emphasis on the elements and their orientation to the directions, but it's a changeable thing. Mm. It's not a set rigid system and the different alignments mean different things. They have different purposes. They do different things. Mm. Um, but I'd also agree that that is not an across the board kind of thing. It's very much ceremonial magic influenced. Um, and there are definitely forms of traditional witchcraft where the idea of air in the north or the east or wherever is absurd because there's air everywhere and you're breathing it, mm -hmm. you know, and earth over there in the north is crazy unless you're looking at mountains and also acknowledging you're standing up on the earth. So mm -hmm. the understanding of elements as classical Aristotelian elements or um, the alchemical elements, the ceremonial magic elements, the practical elements or what we might call the manifestation of them varies from tradition to tradition. And it's going to, how you understand that is going to deeply affect what you think of when we talk about the elements. You know, you, you might have just picked up on the idea of the alchemical elements as expressed through Aristotelian philosophy just because that's what's expressed in, in the vast majority of neo-pagan works. And yet, you don't want any part of that kind of um, worldview or um, schema mundi. Mm. But if you don't dive deep and find context, you'll just pick this up on the surface and carry it forward and end up on some poor pagan forum arguing that no air goes in the north you know <laughs> mm. but to basically answer the question some people use elements some people don't um some people call demons if they're working in that format some people call gods and goddesses if they're working in that format some people call ancestors spirits right? it all depends on the work you're doing um, it depends on the path you're following, the tradition you're working with. It's all different, um, and it gets specific, and it's a very broad topic. And 
if we say, I was going to say something just now, if we say sacred circles, you don't even necessarily work with elements or spirits or anything. You're hallowing the ground, you're making it sacred, mm -hmm. uh, which is a completely different thing again. Um, so it all depends yeah. on what you're doing, really. Yeah. Now, I would say that very occasionally there are places in traditional witchcraft where it is necessary to hallow ground to establish <laughs> new sacred space. But they're few and far between. They're, they're like establishing a new town kind of frequency, you know. And it's not something that someone does by themselves. It's definitely a group act and a group consensus that it needs to be done. And um, it almost always ends up being um, more like what I call uh, the true marriage. It's just a public ceremony and recognition of something that is blatantly obvious to everyone. Um, but because of the way time works, because um, a vast majority of uh, traditional witchcraft is participating in the ever-evolving creation that is being immersed in the cosmology. Um, when you get down to it, you still have to do it. <laughs> you can't just be like, oh, we recognize that this is a thing. Um, you, must participate, you must participate in the creation because you are the product of the creation. Um, and so that seems like some weird circular logic, like all these things we do shouldn't matter because it's already been done, but that only makes sense if you have that linear, singular view of time. Mm -hmm. um, Sarah said I learned how to do it, like you said, in a wicker book, but that's all I had at the time. And that's that's where the problem comes in. I mean, in my day, it was Cunningham, uh, Buckland's Big Blue Book, and Ravenwolf. Oh, and... fucking Ravenwolf, man. <laughs> I've actually read some pretty good stuff about Ravenwolf recently. Um, I'd lost our stream. Are we back? Um, just check. I think we're back. I hope we're back. Everybody's still um, here. It's going in a circle. Okay. I lost the stream there for a minute. Lost connection. Oh, wait. I think we're back. Oh, we're Just back. Let us know we're back. Yolandi says we're back. Okay. We're back. okay. I was hoping cool. it would reconnect and keep the same stream key and all of that sort of stuff and not bump us to another stream. Good. Okay. All right. So, yeah, we were saying, yes. So, Ravenwolf actually saved a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Even though... We, we complain about it. But, but to get back to the point, so it was those three, Cunningham, Ravenwolf, and Buckland's uh, Big Blue Book. And all of them basically say the same thing when it comes to crossing the circle. Um, it may change here and there, but the formats are the same. So this is what this is the, the blueprint that you're now basing everything on. So then you continue from there. 20 years down the line, you realize, oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, and I'd say that's a very common path for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I, I um, started with neo-pagan books like that and very quickly got into ceremonial magic. That's where I went. Um, 
via Crowley and, and that sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, that, that was where everything started for me is this heavy, heavy emphasis on protection and isolation and separation and commanding and abjuring and all that sort of attitude about circles mm. and spirits. And um, through the process of decolonizing my thought of working through deeper understanding and unpacking my um, inherent Christian worldview just from being raised around here, uh, you know, I figured out that's not what I want and ended up mm. with traditional witchcraft and heathenry. Um, and, you know, we talk about a lot, this show is about traditional witchcraft, but that's the thing that Lee and I have in common. Whereas like everything else we don't, <laughs> we have backgrounds in ceremonial magic. We have backgrounds in, in Wicca and that sort of stuff, but our current practices are, are very different. And, um, I think it throws people for a loop for us to say, oh, we're both traditional witches, but we have these, these very differing, um, views and practices and experiences and thoughts. So, um, you know, yeah, we want to talk about traditional witchcraft, but even narrowing that down is still a super broad topic. And, mm. um, how do you do X, Y, and Z? You're going to get a whole bunch of answers just from the two of us. Uh, cause there's so many different, so many different things to consider. I think we also need to bring some of the other stuff into it for context also. Uh, yeah, I mean... Neo-Wicca, Neo-Paganism, Ceremonial Magic. A lot of people have been exposed to that. So using a comparison and to try and explain concepts... I do get, I do get very tired of being like, traditional witchcraft is just not Wicca. We don't cast a circle and we don't call a god and a goddess and we don't necessarily light candles on an altar and we don't you know have a ceremonial knife but i do understand that that's what people are exposed to um for a lot of people when you say witchcraft that's what they think of um you know so uh, i don't know I, i'm of two minds on that on the one hand i'm, I'm tired of the comparisons because I would like traditional mm. witchcraft to be able to be defined on its own instead of just in um, anti-comparison. Because it's always a negative comparison. It's it's not a, a positive comparison. Mm -hmm. uh, no. I, I guess just the attitude, I don't do that. You know? Uh, no. No, no the... I'm I'm thinking more in terms of um, you know people are like um, casting a circle. But you learned it from a wicker book, so this is how you do it. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's what somebody's used to. So you can use that as a context to say, well, that's not how it works within traditional witchcraft. Um, instead of doing this, we do this. Instead of doing this, we do this. Um, there may be a bit of a similarity here. Um, so just, you know, using those, those things as context, but, um, yeah. yeah, well, so I guess my, my underlying problem is again, one of worldview. If you mm. start out with the, the neo-pagan pop Wicca model, 
and you're just going point by point refuting or comparing, that's still your worldview. You've mm. not you've not left that neo pagan worldview, which I don't think is very pagan, which is part of the problem. Mm. It's very Christian in my experience. It's very medieval Christian. Um, you know, because a lot of people think of modern Christianity and they're like, well, they don't believe in magic. But medieval Christianity totally did, and they wrote a bunch of grimoires about it and ceremonial magic. Mm. So I think, I don't know, I think that's what bothers me about it is I understand that's the context and you have to start somewhere. And I'm not saying I would never do that because I absolutely do all the time. Mm. It's just, you know, I feel like I'm constantly being forced back into this very limiting idea where there is only one worldview and there is only one way to understand these things yeah just because yeah, i mean as, as we always say you know ask two witches about the same topic you'll get three different answers yeah um but i mean traditional witchcraft itself um i mean you, you said just now and i've read it elsewhere as well uh probably really peter Padden at the moment um, that we don't worship the gods, we don't call on the gods. Um, whereas I do myself, and I mean, is that exclusively not traditional witchcraft? I don't know. See, I think it that suffers because it's in comparison. Mm. If yeah. if we're talking in the context of setting up a neo pagan pop wiccan circle the part there that i'm saying i don't do is calling the gods into that circle that's not mm. that's not how it is does that mean gods are not part of my practice or i never say hey <laughs> i need your help no mm. absolutely not there are definitely times when i would describe what i'm doing as calling on a god however mm. It's definitely not my first time meeting them. It's definitely not my first time doing that. Um, it's not my first conversation with them. And it's not in the context of a ritual like that. So, mm. Mm, in traditional witchcraft, no, we don't call upon the gods like is done in that neo-pagan pop wicca. However, that doesn't completely preclude that if you turn around and look at it from a different view. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's part of the problem we have talking about this stuff and why it gets so confusing. Because there's so many of these terms that are used in multiple traditions and multiple understanding. And it's all the same terms, but we mean different things by it. And that's that's terrible for communication. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I mean, it's, it's you also get different terms for the same thing, and everybody's like, no, 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 it's this, it's this, it's this. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the same thing. <laughs> and it, it makes it really hard to to pin down stuff, especially in a quick format. Um, mm. We talked about, you know, in our advice for the new witch episode, look up everything. If you're going through and you think you know what a word means... But it's just a, I think I know that, not, 
100% sure because you've been exposed to this tradition and you understand the context, go look it up. Mm. You have to really, really be on top of those sorts of things. Um, and it's why, at least when we talk here, I always try to really define a lot of these terms because they can mean so many things. And most of us think we know what the other person is talking about. And very rarely do we actually, unless, you know, we have that background of understanding and relationship and, and that sort of thing that I, I don't know what else to call it. Sympathy. Mm -hmm. I don't want to call it empathy because the people who are like, oh, I'm an empath. I know what you're feeling. No, <laughs> you think you know what I'm feeling. You think you know what I mean. That's not the same. No. But anyways, back on topic. <laughs> let, me get, let me go back over to the chat. Uh, <laughs> so Solemn Sun, cut out the said part. Um, you did. I am learning a lot. I'm formulating more questions. Cool. You like questions. Uh, Lady Capera, I always bring offerings and ask spirits of the place for consent to perform my arcane operations there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as need... we said, you may need to go over and over and over and over again before you get it. Especially if you're going to okay. active places. Mm. Where, yeah, and which is what we're usually doing, you know. Um, we're trying to find those places, and that's one thing that will be um, that first marker for a lot of people in defining sacred space is some sort of supernatural activity, um, something beyond the physical happening there, or more likely something they don't understand. And I don't think that's a good marker of sacred space um, because it it's not an accurate one. Um, it just means there's stuff going on there. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good place to do magic or a good place to meet the gods or a good place to talk to the ancestors or any of that stuff. It just means there's stuff happening there and it's a, it's high activity. Um, and in fact, I find a lot of self-taught, internet-taught, maybe I should specify, um, early witches will try to go out and find this... Uh, the sacred space and they find somewhere that's got a lot of activity and makes the hair on the back of their neck stand up and they think this is it and what they've done is try to plop down and, and meditate in the middle of you know an etheric highway mm. and they they get dysregulated they get upset they get parasites that come home with them because they went wading in a stream of astral leeches you know and their magic doesn't work <laughs> because they're trying to carefully weave this delicate thing while stuff's going by 90 miles an hour. So, you know, that's that's one of those things. Just because it's active doesn't mean it's a good place to do stuff. Hmm. Um, Craig is here. Hello. Hello. Uh, Sarah said, and I, with laughy faces, and I really like Wicca 101. Okay. <laughs> Um, Deborah asked, how would you define traditional witchcraft? Oh, shit. This show. <laughs> Go and watch every single episode. 
Uh, We're on 78 now. <laughs> more than that. We've done more than no. that, surely. No. I thought we crossed on 100. Episode 78. No, not yet. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong list. Yeah, okay. We crossed, we crossed the one year, the 52 episode mark. That's right. That's mm. right. Yeah. But not all of it's traditional. <laughs> no, no. <coughs> I don't know very many um, uh, traditional witchcraft astrologers. That's not a common combo. Um, I, I know plenty that follow astrology in like the Farmer's Almanac and that sort of thing that use astrology, yeah. but not. So. If, if I had to try and define traditional witchcraft. Think of it. You know what the best thing to do is go and read through the meadows of Alpha. Mm. That is the first thing I ever did, the first site I ever came across, and it's what led me down the path of traditional witchcraft. It's I'll put the link here. Uh, it's on my part of my website. Uh, this was a website that Robin Artisan put up twenty-five years ago. Yeah. Um, and it was everybody's one of everybody's fame, fame or favorite sites. Uh, there was also a scarce bite that he put up. Mm. Um, and this is where I used to send everybody who wanted to know about traditional witchcraft. And then it went; it disappeared. It went went through a various places here and there and then it disappeared so last year i asked robin if we can republish it so links in the chat go and have a read through that that is that's i think that's for me that's it i'm trying to think if i can put it into a single sentence i don't think i can it's like how do you i mean first we have to define witchcraft mm. you know um and the traditional in front of witchcraft is in modern times very much there is the differentiation from modern wicca and mm. wiccan inspired traditions um so you know you know what the difficulty over the years has become um at one stage we used to refer to it as british traditional witchcraft mm -hmm. that I noticed in the past few years has been the label has now moved towards British traditional Wicca. Well, see, um, I don't think that's. Witchcraft. I don't think that's within the last few years. I've been involved mm -hmm. with um, folks that are downline of Gardner and that sort of thing that we would call British traditional initiatory Wicca, right? trace their line back to Gardner or, or Sanders. And they have used the term British traditional witchcraft for as long as I've known them. That's yeah. always what they've called themselves. But, um, you know, in the initiatory streams, there's definitely a, a recognition that there is a difference between Wicca and what we now call traditional witchcraft. And there has been much debate over the years over what do we call this thing that is so anti-authoritarian that it refuses that it's never named itself um 
or maybe I should say so indigenous that it's never named itself. Because we think about all of these tribes, peoples, cultures that um, English-speaking people have encountered, and they're always named, right? The Iroquois, the Cherokee, the Maya, so on and so forth. And yet, nine times out of ten, we find out that that word just means people <laughs> in that language. Mm. What are you? People <laughs> is the answer. But because it's a lack of understanding of the language and the translation, it turns into this name, which are these syllables that are divorced from their meaning and language. So um, traditional witchcraft is like that. It is so closely connected to those practices and those peoples that it's never been named. Um, you know, I think powwow is definitely under the heading of traditional witchcraft. It's a indigenous practice. It was folk magic that was brought over by people. And, you know, it's one of those things where people are like, what are you doing? Working the power, praying, trying, trying to change something. You know, that's mm -hmm. what those words that we get mean. Powwow isn't for any connection to the Native American powwow. It's uh, a heavy Dutch German accent saying power in English. Mm. You know, <clears throat> browking. It's just the word that means trying, praying, you know, um, asking the spirits to do this healing to, to, you know, whatever it is, is cleansing. And I think a lot of things are like that. So it's very hard to pin down a name for traditional witchcraft because that's part of the problem. Is it something that is so close to the people that is such an mm. intrinsic part of folk practice, folk magic, for folk understanding that it doesn't get named because it's just ubiquitous? Mm. All right, I'm going to propose that we take a break and refresh our hot chocolates. And we'll be back in a few minutes and we'll continue with the chat. Woot, woot. And go check out our oh wait, wait, hold, 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 hold. go check out our link tree link in the description below to find out where we are, the Wildwood Temple, Patreon, all that stuff. Wonderful and stuff. Please give us a thumbs up while you're waiting mm. on us to come back. Um it really does help the algorithm and we appreciate it. Cool. See you just now. Bye. Welcome back to the Blackout Chat. Today we are talking about sacred space, we think. Um, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> sort of. We're good there. Usual. Yep. We have spoken about it. Um, all right, so Craig said, uh, in video, the right-hand path or rudder is generally more element-oriented, and Petro, or the left-hand path, is more deity-based. That's hmm. interesting. Yeah. And Solemn Sun said, I recently picked up Lowbrow High Magic, a Bohemian Guide to the Art of Ritual. It breaks down the commonalities of different circles from different sources without mucking it up in too much detail. I'll have to have a look for the book. 
I need my notes. Wait, I need to make a note. Make Who's a note. Who's the author? Lowbrow high magic. Okay. Sure, I'll find it. Okay. <clears throat> you can tell I don't have a very secure desk because when I write my whole <laughs> Wow. Mm. That's that um, um, you know old fashioned dream sequence technique. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, all right, so we we are back. Yes, we are back. And Lady Capera said number nine in the chat. Nine is my favorite. What's number nine? I lost that somewhere. Obviously. Yeah. Um, We're too far behind. Why did the ghost go to the saloon to get booze? <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. <clears throat> Lady Capera. Uh, Rev Kai. Lol. Sounds like me. No, you don't know how I feel. And ha ha booze. All right, let's see. Solomon Sun. I used to think I needed to call down the deities I give adoration to into every circle I made. Things were too complicated and took way too long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but again, it depends on what type of work you're doing, if you need. I mean, in demonology, let's go to demonology quickly. You either work with five elemental kings or you work with all nine of the divine divinities or demonic divinities and usually the most common circle is just working with the five elementals and that's really um, calling the demonic forces that are balancing the elements themselves within the space so it's not setting up a boundary or a protective circle it really is calling in the elements balancing the space elementally um, and you, you do that by calling the uh, demons for those spaces, for those areas. Um, and that's a quick circle crossing. You know, click for five minutes. Um, in other cases, you don't want to call DOTs down, um, but you might want to do some offerings. Um, it really, really depends on what, what work you're doing, I think. Yeah. Like in heathenry, if we're having symbol, um, people are um, free to make offerings um, and and they ought to any of the gods um, within the selected pantheon is usually how it works. So if we're all mm. there doing, you know, uh, Norse stuff, then that's the names we use. If we're doing Icelandic stuff, that's the names we use. If we're doing German stuff, that's the names we use so on and so forth. Um, that's just kind of considered uh, the polite way to do things. Occasionally, the hosts may make an exception, but it's always something that you go and ask the hosts about. Um, and sometimes that means, you know, that throughout the course of Assemble, uh, the people have called on 30 different deities. Uh, but the idea there is not that we're invoking them into the space, uh, but that we are, you know, asking for their attention and giving them mm. offerings inviting uh, them to join honestly. yeah um that term is used but it's not the same understanding 
as mm. um, say it would be in uh, modern Neo Wicca, where you would evoke um, each deity with a full call and everything. Mm. Um, and there are times, sure, during symbols where enough offerings and enough calls and enough invitations have happened that a particular god thor thors up shows up <laughs> i was gonna say it's usually thor um <laughs> who is you know the people's god he's very close to humanity and uh he likes mead he likes to come to symbols and drink um but it's not expected that all gods necessarily appear it's not necessarily expected that they need to appear in order to receive their offerings. Whereas in uh, neo-pagan pop Wiccan circles, uh, especially in the books, I get the impression at least um, that, you know, it's a full on evocation that the gods are now in this space with you. And that carries some heavy kind of weight to what's going on then that you're in the presence of gods, uh, perhaps one, perhaps more than that, where I start to um, kind of roll my eyes at it and think that it's turned into play acting is in these public rituals where there are 25 gods called in this full mm. form with expected full evocation. And that's just not happening. There mm. is not enough oxygen in the room kind of thing you know for 25 gods to be evoked in the same space nobody has that much mana nobody has that much sprout in them um to withstand that even if we're not talking about one single person being the uh point of evocation you know per god it's just that's not how that's going so what's actually happening there is not the expectation of full evocation it's much more honoring the idea bringing the um, god to mind and they move more into an archetypal understanding instead of a god spirit mm. right then and there i think there is for some people there is this concept that it doesn't matter what you're doing, you have to cast a circle. Oh, yeah. uh, and I think, I think this comes from Neo-Pagan and Neo-Wicca. Even if you're sitting down to meditate, you have to cast a circle. And I think um, that ultimately comes from ceremonial magic. Mm, that you need to be protected at all times. Yeah. But even on that basis, I mean, there are various different ways to create a space around you. I mean, um, the one I, I use quite often is to extend into what is called the eighth chakra and just expand that around me. Uh, that comes from Vilaldo's book, um, Shaman no, Sage. Oh, I can't remember the name of the book. Sh Sage, Healer, Shaman, something like that. Uh, Albert Vilaldo, they, you'll, you'll find it somewhere along those lines. Um, <clears throat> so... He speaks of the nine, nine chakras, so you've got seven normal ones, and then you've got the eighth one, which is just over here. It's about the size of a basketball. And 
you basically extend into that space with your hands, you turn them outwards like that, and then you just open it. And then when you're done, you close it again. And that's, it really is as simple as that, and it's extremely effective. I have found if you don't close it, you walk into walls, um, get pretty dizzy. But it, it's effective. It's simple. You're not calling deities. You're not setting up quarters or watchtowers or anything like that. Um, yeah. Um, so if you need it, there's some simple stuff you can use. That, that's the practice I use, although never heard of the Lodo or the uh, use of the chakra or anything like that. It's just an expansion of the um, auric field, uh, mm. it could be called, an expansion of the um, hum, um, breathing into the astral body, the expansion of the body of light, all these sorts of things. Um, the way I learned it was very much that um, our when our fetches are within us, they've come back to reside in the body. They wrap themselves around us in protection because they are the, the protective part of our soul that mm. always gives us protection. And we can ask them to simply you know, puff up a little bit, give us some room inside that protection. Instead of having their wings completely folded around us, they can expand their wings out into this bubble. And we're still inside, we're still just ourselves in there. But we have a little more room to move and to breathe and to kind of push energies around and feel them in other ways. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, it really does depend on what you do. You don't need to cast a full ritual ceremonial circle every time for every single thing you do mm. <clears throat> i actually find that <clears throat> excuse me i actually find depending on what i'm doing i mean if i'm sitting down and just meditating and just speaking to whoever i want to speak to at the time um i don't always need to do any kind of circle casting um i do it in the same space every time so there is an energy built up, built up there already but sometimes space feels a bit un unbalanced and therefore i'll do some kind of working to just balance the space before it continue um but generally it's just you know sit down and do the work yeah um you know i'm i'm in mind of the idea of the differentiation between sacred and profane those are mm. the opposites here that we're talking about and a lot of people talk about your everyday spaces are profane we we touched on this, I don't know, week before last, I don't know when it was, when we were talking about having an altar in the bedroom. Mm. You know, that sort of thing. And one thing I think about, especially traditional witchcraft, is um, we are dwellers between. We are walkers mm. between. Um, and most of us, you know, when we first start our, our practice and our craft, we consciously go between those places. Um, between the, the sacred and the, the witchy and the mundane, the magical, the profane. We move consciously between them. But after years and years of practice, you find out that you're living on the fringes. Mm. You're not really in sacred, full sacred space. You're also not really in completely profane, mundane space. You're living at the boundary. Um, and so 
I think that's part of the reason, um, especially here from the old crotchety traditional witches, about don't, you need to clean and align. You don't need to cut off. Mm. You know, you talk about, you know, if the space doesn't feel right, um, you'll align it. And that, you know, that's what laying a compass is to me. It's not really aligning the space, it's aligning me. But also, clean. Sweep the floor, mm. do some vacuuming, wipe the dust off your altar. Um, tend to it. Entropy is the process of death. It is the process of decay. And witchcraft is very much engaged in the process of life and abundance and growth. It's stepping into that cycle. And part of the process of that cycle is tidying up. Yeah. Um, you know, keeping things clean, keeping things tidy, pleasing, aesthetic, all of that is that human mark on the world, is that engagement in the process of creation. Ordering is creation. Getting all of that DNA to line up so it replicates and it duplicates and everything else. Whereas entropy is destruction, which is necessary because you don't have the bits to order and put in a nice little line <laughs> if they didn't break down from something else. But we want to quite frequently engage in the the growth and the abundance part. That's that's the healing, that's the magic, that's the that's the growing part of it. And it's super easy to engage in the decay part. Just go get in line. You'll decay. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's everywhere. Yeah. It's easy to tap into and it's very easy to access. It's not a difficult process. It's the work of life that is work. And so making space sacred or finding sacred space is both complex and hard work but also really, really simple. Mm. You know, uh, here we are again, Just, paradox without contradiction. Yeah, as you said, it's, it's a lot to do with alignment. I mean, if you're not feeling aligned, you're going to be out of sync almost. Um, yeah. And it's, I think it's very much, um, I'm not sure how to term it, becoming aware or bringing awareness to both realms at the same time because they are in the same space uh, we're just not aware of them together yeah so we've become, we've become aware of the two things or the we become aware of the union of the two things because they are not separate we always think they're separate but then we become aware of them not being separate and therefore we exist in both at the same time mm, yeah that's a good way to put that I know when I, I, I spent quite a while um, thinking that I belonged in British traditional Wicca. And mm. um, I um, did dedicate pre-initiation um, training and studying with a couple of different covens. And um, with one of them, uh, that was Alexandrian, I wrote a paper on circle casting. And my theory here was that you take these various vibrating planes and when you cast a circle what you're really doing is pulling them all into one space and kind of compressing this frequency um, so that you had this very loud harmonic here 
um, in this one space and the resonance goes up and they amplify with one another and I likened it to you know pulling back an arrow on a bow this mm. is a place of great potential even though it's not moving <coughs> you know you have tons of tension on that bowstring and you have tons of tension in that arm too you're you're pulling it back you're waiting to release but being in the circle is that moment of tension and yet stillness because it is pulling all of this together when the circle is opened that's when everything releases and springs back to its natural state back to its resonance <coughs> before you started adding this pressure and pulling things together and changing volume and and that sort of thing so that is one way to think about the alignment that happens in that kind of circle casting um you know because there are plenty of traditional witches that practice other things that's the thing about traditional witchcraft is that there's no law in traditional witchcraft that says that you can't do anything else that you can't also practice ceremonial magic that you can't also um you know practice any other form of magic uh, but i think traditional witchcraft definitely has a a noticeable world view about how that works well, we've always said that the traditional wish kind of just to... We had a drop again in connection. Hopefully it comes back. I swear. What a day, man. I oh, know. Right. Let us know if we're back. Yeah. I think we probably are. Uh, okay. I hope we're back. So, um, in traditional witchcraft, we talk about you don't call the gods, you go to the gods. Um, we do not consecrate the land, we dwell upon it. We change ourselves. We align ourselves. We're not really changing anything outside of us very often. Um, well, that's the magic bit, not the ritual bit. But most of that setting up to do stuff is getting ourselves into the right space into the right alignment, into the right frequency, vibration, you know, so many ways to describe it. That's why we journey. That's why we lay a compass. That's why we do things the way we do. Because the base worldview is not, I will stand here and move all these pieces to come to me and do as I wish. It's I'll go mm. out here and change myself to line up with what I want. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I've lost this. Lost my place in the chat. Oh, here we go. Right, should we go back over here? Um, Sarah said, uh, Can I ask, is Freemasonry some type of traditional witchcraft or something else entirely? I have had family members that were Masons, but I know nothing about it. It is something else entirely. Completely. Yeah, nothing to do with each other. No relation. Uh, Solemn Sun, if you do make a sacred space, what are good ways to keep it sacred over time? Um, and then ask a question about warts. Warts would be good. I, um, so does it not become sacred? The way to keep a sacred space sacred is to go there and do sacred things. 
and respect it. Recognize that it's sacred and continually engage with it. And the timeline of land is a lot slower than us. Um, mm. I don't think a hallowed place will decay too profane in a human lifetime. That has not been my experience. I don't think the vast majority of people who make sacred space actually do it. Um, actually hallow the land. Like I said before, it's not a single person thing. It's a big group thing. It's a lot of work. It's it's like founding a town kind of um, stuff. It's It's a huge change. And it's it's a collaborative effort not only with the humans involved but with everything else that's there and that's a lot it's a lot of lives it's a lot of spirits it's a lot of weird that is there and once that mm. is done once the fundamental fabric has been picked apart and rewoven into a new pattern it doesn't just go away it's there for hundreds of years um, even if it's not interacted with, it remains because it's it's changed the fundamental pattern of the weird. Um, but I think what most people are talking about is how do you keep somewhere clean? Because that's usually what a lot of people associate with sacred space is that sterility. Um, so clean it. I mean, <laughs> it's the same way you keep your floors clean. Run the sweeper, mm. pick up the dirt. And eventually, um, you know, if you are not actually in a sacred space or you have not made a space sacred, the weave is what the weave is. You can't, you can't, you can't dwell upon the unholy and expect your 30 minute ritual once a year to make it holy. You know, so mm. yeah. yeah, it's also I think it's also a case of making sure. I mean, there's a certain respect. So you know, if you go to a sacred space and start throwing your trash around, how much? Uh, we got fifteen dollars from Deb. Thank you, Deb. Uh, thank you for helping me increase my awareness. Thank you, Deb. Thank you very much. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, trashing up a sacred space is um, not good. It will cover over it, and it will piss off everyone there. But it doesn't desacralize it. Mm. And I was actually thinking, I mean, if you think of landfills, it's just a load of trash that's been dumped. Eventually, that's gets, that um, degrades and becomes soil again. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day... Yeah, yeah. Eventually, yeah. it does return. Everything's returns to the original weave. Um, yeah. That that's why we say we don't consecrate the ground; we dwell upon it. That's why we journey to sacred places because it's a huge undertaking to actually make a sacred space. And frankly, they're everywhere. There is one within walking distance of where you are. I can yeah. confidently state that. <laughs> because uh, that's the way the world is. It's not 
it's only at the top of the Himalayan mountains and only in, in Death Valley or something like that. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of sacred places. Mm. It's not an unusual phenomenon and it's not a rare occurrence. Mm. Um, Eric said, yes, Pennsylvania, the Dutch powwow of their hand-painted wooden sigils. <coughs> Heck signs. They wouldn't call them sigils. Mm. And yeah, within within Braukerai and uh, Powwow, they're not the same as sigils. Heck signs. Heck signs. Uh, Solemn Sun. So the author of the book is actually the shop I picked it up from. The Curium Arcana in Austin, Texas made this book in response to a patron's specific need and questions. You might be able to order it. Okay. I'll have a look anyway, see what I can find. Um, Craig said the presence of gods in a voodoo temple is played out with possession. It's known as the master of your head. Like a spirit that walks with you. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll that. Um, Solomon's son, how would you compare the drawing down of a god form to the comedic uh, waking the god up in the day, offering incenses, etc.? Is this drawing them down also? I feel like I've lost something in that question. Yeah, I don't know what the comedic waking the god up in the day is. I'm not familiar with that term. I assume it would be something like sun salutations. Hmm. Uh, do you remember something from Crowley? Passage of the boat through the sky. Yeah. Vague, very vague. Yeah, it's been a while. Maybe I'm just not remembering the term. Yeah. I don't know. So, give us, give us a shout. Let us know what, what that's about. The drawing down, yeah. The drawing down, drawing down a god form um, would be very much like bhakti yoga, in a sense. I guess. I mean, when I think of drawing down, I think of. Um, Invocation yeah. and partner invocation specifically is drawing down. Somebody decides to open up and be the vessel and somebody else does the work of evoking into that vessel because it's kind of hard to do both at the same time. Um, mm. And that's what I think of for the term drawing down. And it's expected a, as a, a manifestation um similar to um, like a voodoo possession, although um, in voodoo, many of the Loa have a, a very specific uh, way they possess and perform, and I don't think it's as well-defined um, in many of the traditions that uh, practice drawing down as part of their religious rituals, uh, especially the modern neo-pagan ones because of loss of information and, um, you know, the way that paganism came to the U.S., I mean, the pagan way materials were written by um, 
Ed Fitch and Joe Wilson because they straight up could not get enough teachers over here to meet demand. They couldn't. Mm. So many people wanted to be witches and wanted to be initiated that they could not get enough people to teach them in person. And so they had written material as kind of like, well, here's a primer. Um, here's at least something you can do until we can get there and teach you in person. And at least you'll know the terminology and you'll have some of the ideas. The problem is the worldview didn't go with it, as it rarely does without a teacher to correct, to correct that interpretation. People thought they knew what they were reading. They thought they knew what it meant, matched it to their existing worldview. And that's part of the reason we ended up with what we now call the neo-pagan pop Wicca book inspired traditions. Um, and drawing down was part of that information that was given in those early days. And this is what we do. This is how we interact with our gods because that is the tradition. Um, but again, without experiencing it, without having someone there to guide you, you know, it doesn't always work out. And it's like expecting, you know, to be able to, to manifest one of the Loa and have them, you know, take over your head without going to ceremony, without the drums, without the mambo, without, you know, everyone there doing the work so it actually happens. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. Went off on another tangent. Surprise, surprise. We like tangents. Tangents are good. Uh, Sarah asked, I have a question. If you regularly use a space in your home and you move, is there a specific way you should be set the space for other people? That's a good question. I actually remember learning a long time ago. Uh, one way to do it is kind of get an object, and usually like a rock, and you kind of gather all the energy up, mm. and then you move the rock to the new place and you let it all go which I thought was quite cool. I've heard of doing that with a bottle, too. Mm. You know, go around and collect it all and cork up the bottle and take it to the new place. But I would say, you know, undo whatever you did to claim the land. Um, in heathenry, there's always a land-taking process, um, and there's a land-releasing process, the same idea. You don't... You no longer take responsibility for this place. You no longer, you know... Are, are the one to come to when something is wrong. You give up um, the places, the housewife. Um, you're not not taking care of it anymore. And it's, you know, very similar to uh, the process of claiming it. Um, you pull up your stakes, quite literally. Um, you tell everybody, hey, I'm leaving. This is not my responsibility anymore. I'm not going. A lot of people like to invite house spirits to go with them or land spirits to go with them, um, which I've always thought is kind of weird. Uh, you can't you can't take the spirit of the house if you're not taking the house, in my mm. opinion. But people do that uh, because they formed an attachment. But there, I mean, there are. I mean, I've got one that follows me around. It doesn't matter where I go. I don't invite it with me. It just follows me around. Um, so I think there are some spirits that kind of get attached to the family rather than the home itself. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But I wouldn't call those house spirits. Mm. 
Um, you know. I would have the name for it, really. Ancestors. That's that's oh, okay. That's included under ancestors because I always say ancestors are not just blood relations, mm. and the beloved dead are not just blood relations. They're all these spirits that have passed before you, and they're not all human. Mm. You know, a lot of people think ancestors have to just be human, um, but definitely not. But that's that's my worldview and my delineation. Um, I don't know if you didn't, you know, claim your land, if you didn't cleanse your house, all of that sort of stuff, but started practicing magic since you moved into the place. Um, I'd probably just clean it well and do something that says, I'm not going to be any, be here anymore. I'm not going to be responsible for this anymore. I'm leaving mm. kind of thing. You know, I have to go somewhere else and, and put down roots. Um, you know, if you've planted trees or plants and you want to dig some of them up and take them with you, that would be an appropriate part of that ceremony because you're literally removing your roots from the land, that sort of thing. Just all those, all those sorts of ideas. I think the most effective magic is the magic that is woven into the mundane actions of our lives. Cause again, I don't really see a big separation. You know, sweeping the floor is a magical, sacred, mundane, profane act for witches. Because you got to get the dirt off the floor. Um, you know, you got to clean it, but you also got to clean it. Energetically. And they're not... I think divorcing one from the other is... I think it's silly, but I also think it's ineffective. You know, I, I laugh when people have brooms that they don't allow to touch the floor. I mean, each their own, whatever works for you, that just wouldn't make sense to me and wouldn't work in my world. Mm, I guess some people think that some brooms are only for flying. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably keep that one pretty clean, considering where it usually <laughs> ends up, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just wondering how many people are listening to us going, what are they talking about? Um, Look up what witches really did with flying ointments. Yes, and how they how they applied the flying ointment, ointments with the broom. Um, I'm sure you can get your I imagination mean, around that one. Back in the day before vibrators, whatever works, man. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I think we were here, Solemn Sun. Can you touch on how the triangle of the art interacts with the circles? Is this something you leave in or out of your circle if you use one? Um, I don't use one. It is something I actually have been wanting to explore again. Uh, I mean, my introduction to the triangle of art was obviously through the Goetia, um, and it became the branding and banishing or, or the, the controlling and the tying method and I didn't like it and that's when my explorations into other areas uh, came about um, so I kind of rejected that whole idea of the triangle of art but it is a triangle of manifestation really and 
through the through the three points you can focus an energy into a specific place and actually concentrate that more so it's definitely something i need to explore again and experiment with yeah when i learned it it was definitely something that went outside the circle because it was the point of manifestation and the circle was to project the magician inside mm. and you didn't you wouldn't have it in the circle with you um but i have used it as a traditional witch um, usually it's kind of on the edge of the compass, um, where all the swirling is happening, uh, because that's the easiest point for manifestation, but its point is to, to be a spot for manifestation, um, for something to, um, appear in corporeal form, and, um, I don't like a circle in that case, because, um, if I'm going to manifest something, I usually don't want to be hiding behind a gate going, Hi, I, yeah. I called you. Please don't hurt me. Um, <laughs> that's not yeah. not the way I, I want to interact with the spirits that I'm manifesting. Nor do I want to be standing over in the circle going, I command you and abjure you and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, who who wants to show up to a gig that they got booked for and find out that that's the way your host is acting? you know honey there ain't a big enough tip i'm not staying for that and <laughs> i don't expect the spirits that i call in that manner i don't expect the same of them either mm. you know if they're going to manifest um i have offerings for them i have um reasonable request for the reason i'm contacting them and uh the triangle of art i find helps in first contact uh, because you're providing all the, all the stuff. You're taking the, the burden of collecting the bits for manifestation off of the spirit. You're giving them everything they need so that they can show up. Which I think is the nice way to do things. You're going to call them and ask them to show up. Provide them what they need to do so. And um, the Triangle of Art is part of that complement of stuff that helps bring manifestation mm. yeah so no circle actually required mm. i mean you also don't want it like up under your feet either because mm. part of the point of having a triangle of manifestation is to to anchor the spirit over there not in here I mean, yeah. because all the materials needed for physical manifestation also exist right here in this body, if you're paying attention, right? So if you don't provide anything else, that might be what they take, and that's not always what you're going for. Mm. So it, it is a case of you want to talk to a spirit over there. You don't want it to, the energy to swirl around you. You don't want it to come inside you. You want it to be over there because you need to talk to it in that manner. Um, you, know, you, don't get, you don't get too close to it so that it enters you. Yeah, yeah, or... That's quite kinky. Yeah, but, I mean, there's a reason for that separation many times. Um, mm. Union is union in thought and in deed. And if you're just meeting a spirit, you're not ready for union. That's mm. not how the relationship starts. That's not how the negotiation starts. 
Um, so you need a way for that to happen that is safe for both of you. Yeah. You know, and it, you know, I don't know. I don't know how else One to describe it. One of the ways it. to test the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And having the spirit outside of you, um, having the appropriate keys around the triangle is helpful so that only what you want um, is able to manifest. Because, I mean, you can you can lay out all the stuff and the barley and the wine and the manifestation and just open the highway and something will show up, mm. you know, um, if you're not Absolutely. testing and, and using the keys and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, Eric Barra said, heck signs, yes, thank you. That's the correct phrasing. Uh, they're pretty awesome. Um, Deb said, I consider my shade garden my sacred place. Feel the spirits there. Yeah. Yeah. I know a it lot of witches place. that happen to buy houses or rent houses because it just feels like it's right. <laughs> it turns yeah. out, oh, it's because it's sacred space right there in your backyard, in your front yard, in the, you know, courtyard, whatever. It happens. Very frequently, yeah. very frequently. Mm. Uh, Solemn Sun, waking the, waking the God includes daily adoration at the particular altar, offering, dressing the God, etc. You do the same at night, put them to rest. Oh, okay. Yeah, about sun salutations. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I remember, I, I do, as I said, vaguely remember it from Crowley with the boat traveling through the sky, mm -hmm. Ra, and I can't remember now, um, but you do... In fact, there's four rituals you do. Uh, mm -hmm. Morning, noon, evening, and then midnight. Well, sunrise, sunset, noon, and midnight. Yeah. Yeah, for the four stations. Yeah. But I yeah. wouldn't think waking the god is much like uh, drawing down. Yes, you are, in a way, inviting the inhabitants of the spirit within that statue. And you're giving the offerings so that they can be there and they can be in that place. Um, but because it's done daily, routinely, it's not necessarily like you expect the spirit to show up at 9 a.m. and serve their 12-hour shift mm -hmm. and then go. It's like you're providing a good space and they can come by when they want kind of thing. And... The gods don't manifest the same way we do. Well, the same way we think we do. Um, they're not always there whole in body and spirit. They, um, they can just look in. They can just be there a little bit, not full on. I always think of that the same way, like when someone's on our mind, oh, I've been thinking about you, and then they call. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, we do manifest in those more subtle ways uh, when we get down to it, but we don't think about it very often. And I think our gods work the same way. They're not always going to show up in that big, mm, big glorious rays of light and, and physical manifestation and that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, Craig said that spot on where the temple has the... Uh, required egregore to produce a possession. Mm -hmm. um, Sarah said that's a great idea with a rocket bottle, but I'm not taking anything with me. 
What if it's just like in the space? The space clean again. Yeah, you don't have to take anything with you. Clean it. Let's clean it. Aha, Richard has made it. His power is back on. Yay! Bloody low shedding in this country, really. (laughs) (laughs) It's always something. I thought we weren't going to have a show today because of my computer and its problems, I swear. (laughs) We still dropped the (laughs) signal twice, and we're doing our best here. (laughs) We've made it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Craig said our most ancient ancestors are the dinosaurs, or even before that, it's not always people. Animism is an evolutionary phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think when we say ancestors, people get hung up on dead grandma. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's so much more than that. I mean, my dead grandmas are there, but it's much, much more. Much, much more. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm sure I read recently um, somebody was associating their ancestors with animals also. Mm. Yeah. Um, Craig said, uh, I've used a triangle in ritual to represent the three facets of self, those being our past, present, and future self all at once. Time's not real. <laughs> yeah, but... There is, there is no past, present, and future self. <laughs> but if you want to um, work towards that understanding from the... The inculcation of linear time. I think um, understanding nonlinear time is one of the biggest hang-ups for a lot of people to adopt a, a pagan or a heathen worldview. Mm. I mean, just a lot of people just can't wrap their head around it. It's deep. Mm. It's very deep. Yeah. Uh, Deborah. Dumb question. Have you seen spirits visually? Mm-hmm. I, I haven't, I don't think. I can't, I can't think of a time I have. Can't think, I can't, no, I really can't think of one. I've, I've seen lots of spirits visually. Mm. Conjured, not conjured. All sorts of stuff. No. No. Um, Vedic Pera, the four purifications. Um, mm. My personal belief is that we are not supposed to know or understand everything about them. Part of the spiritual mysteries of life, they can and do often remain elusive for this reason, in my opinion. I don't think humans have even known and understand everything about themselves yet. No. We don't know what's in the bottom of the oceans on the planet we live on. There's so much we don't know. So much we don't know. And I do, Mm. you know, I do think it is kind of weird when people want to know every little detail about gods or spirits or or whatever before they'll they'll work with them. And yet they don't know those things about themselves. No. You know, I find it. I find it. It's kind of necessary just to know enough, so you know who you're talking to, and then go talk to them. 
Mm-hmm. I think we ended up talking about the gods more than we did sacred space, which is mm. interesting. Mm. But yeah, well, we did we did talk a lot about sacred space. Yeah, I will point out that we um, have previously done another show on sacred space. Uh, so scroll back through the Black Hat chat playlist. It's called Sacred Space. Um, and oh, we, what? yeah, we, it was do, 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 the 3rd of September last year. Oh. <laughs> Didn't know we'd, we'd call it, so I thought it was Compass Round or something like that. I think what we ended up talking about the majority of the time was laying the compass. Um, mm. But, yeah. So, I don't know. That's what it says in my notes, but maybe you named it different on the YouTube channel, but I thought we called it Sacred Space. Um, and we talked about entirely different stuff <laughs> than we did today. So, yeah. so there, there you go. You've got lots and lots of information for you. Nothing wrong with, with revisiting our topics. Yeah, I, was, mm. I thought we had one that we did that was just on laying the compass, but looking back through my notes, I don't have any with that title. So maybe we should do mm. that sometime. Uh, we did, yeah, it was cool. Right, sort of September, talking about sacred space. Talking about time. sacred space. Okay. Or sacred space and magic and witchcraft. That's the actual title. The thumbnail says something different. So the actual title is Sacred Space <laughs> and Magical Witchcraft. There we go. Yeah, but um, but there's another yeah. show. Scroll back through the the Black Hat chat playlist and, and give that one a listen too. Because we covered a bunch of different stuff. And, I mean, that was a year ago. We're different people now. Mm. <laughs> yep, totally. But not really, because time's not real. No. We've always been the same people we are now. You just got to participate I'm in you, creation. I, I'm you, you're, you're me, and we're everybody else as well. So. Right. You know. That's why I need the glasses now. No. I know. Yeah, <laughs> you, you have to catch up with me. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, Craig said, uh, "If your shadow, if your shadow as your two D self, then you could be a shadow of your four D self." each bound by different timelines, past, present, and future, all at once. That still assumes linear, even parallel timelines. Mm. But, yeah, you're still all of those all at once. As long yeah. as you choose to participate in the creation. Because, well, which it's, uh, fate is destiny... Choice is not set. <laughs> uh, Richard said, I remember that show. I was still a new black hatter then. Yep. And now you're an I'm old black hatter. Lady Pequera said, Great chat, everyone. Thank you all. Must fly now. Peace. Yes, I think we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, the end of another fantastic show. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for the chat. It was wonderful. Thank you all for being yeah. here and talking with us. We love you all. We will see you in another lifetime. 
Next week, we're going to be discussing healing. So, and this is another one that we've already done a healing show on. So I'm sure it will be uh, new ground, new topics, new questions, new perspectives. Go have a look, go have a look, look back in the um, Blackout Chat playlist for uh, the previous one, and it might bring up some new questions. You can ask us in the chat then. All right then. So we'll see you next week. Have a fantastic week. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today in the Black Hat Chat. Have a look in the description of this podcast or in the About section for all of our links and tune in next week for another exciting chat.